What's up? Welcome to the Part-Time Rockstar Podcast, episode 177. This week featuring my guest Chris Wren of Bridge Nine Records out of Beverly, Mass. Uh, Chris has been putting out records in the DIY hardcore scene up there in Boston for about the last 25 years or so. Um, in 95, he started his record label officially, and they've been going for almost a couple decades now ever since. Uh, Chris kind of grew up, sounds like, in the in Connecticut uh, in the 90s, which was a hot spot for hardcore, and he wanted to help bands reach a larger audience. Um, so far, he's got about 300 releases to his credit uh, over the years, and uh, has had some of the biggest names in hardcore on his roster, including one of my personal favorites, Agnostic Front, and uh, I believe also has War on Women. From uh, down here in the DMB as well on the roster. Um, but yeah, if you're listening in from the Boston area, definitely uh, go check out the store or the storefront. Um, it's pretty much brand new. Uh, Chris built it in the last couple years or so, and uh, it looks like a really cool spot over near the beach. Um, in our conversation, we talked about all sorts of stuff, uh, including the construction of the store recently, but also just the DIY culture up there, as well as uh, talked about skateboarding and uh, a bunch of other stuff, including some of the artists that Chris has worked with over the years. So uh, hopefully whether you are friends or fans of his, you learned something new or learned something you didn't know before. Um, I featured a Bridge Nine artist by the name of Roll Call at uh, Chris's suggestion. They are a New York City hardcore band. But anyway, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting local music. Uh, We all definitely appreciate it. Hopefully you're uh, doing well yourself, staying sane, staying positive. Uh, Feel free to find the podcast online or on all the socials. Give us a follow or uh, you can subscribe or rate the podcast wherever you may be streaming. Um, In personal news and notes, I don't think I have too much to mention other than... uh, Part-time Rockstar Productions is up and running. If you need any video content in and around the DMV, we can definitely hook that up on a very low budget. Um, the merch store is up on Shopify for the podcast, so if you need a Part-time Rockstar t-shirt, uh, you can definitely find that there. And then uh, Truly Strings is the sponsor of this show, and you can find Truly Strings on Instagram. I take all my guitars there, and Steven Zaluthier runs it. But yeah, without any further ado, you're now about to hear Roll Call out of New York City. The song is called Exploit Me. text you or whatever um i think maybe someone from 500 miles to memphis might have emailed me i'm guessing nice. um i'm assuming you worked with uh, them before i it might have been uh my buddy pete from protagonist i know he uh he had helped connect the dots with uh, with you okay maybe he manages 500 miles to memphis then too okay. uh yeah i don't know it's uh, pretty hard to keep track of these days with this podcast thing. It's I, I have like a 
schizophrenic serial killer board up with all the you know little pieces of yarn that connect the dots um hypothetically but i don't know uh welcome on the show anyway it's just something that i've been doing in the uh the dmv you know dc baltimore area just for some of my friends bands are you based in ohio no, so I'm, I'm actually based in the Boston area. I am okay. in Beverly, Massachusetts. We're uh, about 30 minutes north of Boston, one town over from Salem, you know, like the witchcraft city. So nice. East Coast. No recent uh, witch hangings lately. What's that? No recent uh, witch huntings lately. No, not with witches. I mean, I'm sure there's other people being persecuted. I did really like that movie, though, The Witch. That was that was cool, but uh, I don't know if you saw that one. I haven't. Okay, yeah, I think it was loosely based about. Awesome. I spent a lot. Of time, I spent a lot of time in Salem, and the witchcraft tourism is wild. Right. On. So I think they were, they had something like a hundred thousand people come on the Saturdays during October, to a city that only has like forty thousand people. So that's it's pretty it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's. That is kind of nuts. I recently learned what an Iron Maiden actually is. Oh, yeah. You don't want to get... Yeah, you don't want to know what that is, honestly. If you don't... (laughs) I was like, shit, they actually named their band after that. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's uh, Bridge Nine Records that uh, you're running? Yep. Uh, Cool. I guess we'll get the lowdown on that. Um, I didn't see it on Facebook or Instagram, which is kind of where I normally um, find people's stuff. But I did find your website. And cool. um, looks like you've been going for, obviously, a little while now. Worked with some uh, pretty big names and all that stuff. I don't even know quite where to begin. I assume the record label is, you know, based in Boston or has been. Uh, for a number of years. Uh, it has, yeah. 98. 98. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you texted me uh, a couple bands you worked with, and I mean, off the top of my head, uh, I I guess I'm most curious about Agnostic Front. I don't know. I've I always loved those guys. Always listened yeah. to um, them as a kid and all that stuff. But I mean, you've worked with, you know, a who's who of that world. So I don't know where you want to begin, but that's where I would let's, start personally, let's start, I guess. Let's start with Agnostic Front. I mean, they obviously are the godfathers of hardcore. They're a very cool band. Very, I mean, their influence runs uh, so deep with a lot of the artists that we've worked with over the years. Yeah. Um, back in 2005, I think it was, I was, I, I've been working with a band called Death Before Dishonor uh, from the Boston area. And they were given the opportunity to tour with Agnostic Front. Um, right I believe Terror was supposed to tour with AF um, initially, and then they had to drop off the tour in Europe. So the booking agent was scrambling to find a band last minute. So uh, Death Port Honor was able to do it. I mean, they'd never played more than three or four shows in a row you know, on tour. They were a pretty new band and hadn't really done much outside of the Boston area. Um, but they went and got their passports and headed to Europe with Gnostic Front for a six-week tour. Nice. You know, that, that's when we kind of connected with them. And in 2007, we ended up doing a 7-inch for Gnostic Front. Um, 
to kind of preempt their new album that was coming out on a big European hard like a like metal label. So we put that out, and then just kind of over the years started working on other projects. We we um, reissued some of their original classic material, the United Blood EP, the Victim yeah. Pain, the uh, Live at CBGB 12 inch, um, and if, we've even uh, done the Blu-ray like film of their uh, the movie The Godfather's Parkour. Yeah, so, I was gonna ask about that because I had uh, seen that recently. So yes. Yeah, Great really film. Good. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was the director of it, and he, when he was looking for someone to release it physically, um, asked me about it, and and, uh, and we ended up pressing it on Blu-ray, but then also had like a bonus seven-inch that came with it. Right. On. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they they had the anthems back in the day, and I guess they still do. They're they are from New York, though, right? Agnostic Front, anyway? They are, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, it looks like you got some other big names in there, too, recently. I mean, it looks like War on Women, uh, for one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're from down from your area. You know, they're in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, I never got, never crossed paths with them, at least yet. But uh, I know they've been certainly making the, making the rounds lately. So that's cool. Yeah, they were they were actually just up here in Boston um, a week or so ago on tour with the Cancer Bats, and yeah. they performed a few songs in our our new record store um, acoustically just to just to do something for us. Oh, cool! So you guys have like a storefront as well? Yeah, yeah, which is pretty new. Um, we we just moved to a, a new building last year. Um, spent most of the year renovating it, and we have a like a record store up front. Um, with the warehouse and, and everything for the label in the back. Right on. Yeah. I'll have to get up there sometime for sure. I got some friends uh, in Cape Cod. So cool. maybe uh, make the pit stop. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, starting from 98, I feel like there's a lot of ground to cover. Um, slightly putting myself in your shoes for a second, I guess I imagine that Maybe, you know, you played in bands as a kid and then uh, kind of wanted to help out the scene in your own way at some point. And maybe that evolved into a record label or maybe I'm just completely making all that up. No, no, uh, a, a lot of that for a lot of people, that's the path. Um, I've known a lot of people in bands that have started yeah. labels initially to put out their own records and then right. have branched out. Um, for me, I was the guy that was not in a band. Gotcha. I didn't play an instrument. I didn't sing. You know, but I wanted to be involved and, and connected mm -hmm. to what my friends were doing. Um, so I kind of just, that was my role. I said, all right, I'll, I'll try and put out a record. Um, put out one record, took a year to earn the money back. And I thought, all right, I'm going to do it again. Did another record and just kind of like one after another. So. Yeah. And keeping it going for 25 years. It's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a minute. So, um, initially, how did bands, you know, find you, and then how do they uh, kind of go about it now? So in the beginning, it's just you know you're you're putting out records with people that you know, um, people like in my case it was people from my high school, um, and then their friends, and then 
as I would go out on tour with bands, it was people I met when I was on tour. Gotcha. Um, and then it would be people that the bands I was working with would meet or tour with. So they would kind of bring them in. So, you know, at first you're the, you're the guy in the bands kind of going out and, and meeting people. And then after, you know, a number of years, the artists that you're working with, you know, you build kind of a community. Yeah. And they start bringing, you know, people that they know, that they're tight with, that they, they can vouch for and have toured with um, to the table. And, and uh, if it was something that I was into, then we'd, we'd put it out. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like it's this this next question is a bit longer and could take up the entire episode now. But uh <laughs> I don't know. It's a common theme I think right now in in music in general and that's like where do you think record labels are what do you think what do you think record labels do the best now or how do they, you know, help out bands whereas in the past obviously it was kind of like obvious what they did. They sold records, right? I mean, and now it's yeah. like since you don't sell as much, at least that's my perspective. I could be wrong about that since everything's just stream based a lot of the time. Like, what do you think the role of a record company is? Or maybe a better question is how has it evolved? So the way I see it, a record label is a brand that, you know, basically curates a, uh, a, maybe a style of music or right. a community you know caters to a community so you know as as the label i would go in and have to come up with the resources to help the band do what they wanted to do and then as we started to develop a few bands that kind of you know i think great record labels have not a sound but they you know they they, they have their own kind of niche yeah. i don't think a label should be all things to everybody i think it should help document something that's exciting that's happening uh right. in the eyes of whoever's behind it um, so, you know, a label has to work with artists, help them get what they need. Um, in the past, it was distribution. It was pressing, you know, the records and, and getting them into stores um, and promoting and marketing them. A lot of things that people and fans can do right now on their own, right? Like, they, right. you don't yeah. need a label to necessarily to record your music. I mean, if, if you need a budget and you don't have the means to do it, um, you, you might need someone to help invest in it. It doesn't have to be a label. It could be yeah. a crowd crowdfunding. Um, you know, it could be friends, family, what have you. But from from a label, it's all about, you know, finding artists that you're excited about, uh, archiving what they do and, and making it available, and then, you know, continuing to build that community. Um, in our case, you know, it's a matter of, getting a group or a series of bands together, um, helping them tour together, helping yeah. them promote themselves, um, and collectively kind of like the whole, all, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Yeah. I mean, my assumption generally speaking is that, you know, record labels have a better perspective or maybe better is the wrong word, but a different perspective than the band itself on not only the genre of the band and the sound, and their fans and maybe they even have a perspective on their like trajectory so your your job is like a guide or a shepherd almost in a healthy way um, it, it does become yeah. that i mean early on you know when you're just like i was the same age as everyone in the band right. when i started right and as you 
get older, you get more experience, and you network. Um, I think a big part of working with a label like Bridge Nine now is you're not just you're not starting over or starting by yourself. You're starting with a network of relationships that go for us go back 27 years. So you know I have people that I work with, uh, whether it's studios or you know uh, magazines or um, booking agents that I've, I've I've worked with for decades at this point. So when I yeah work with a band they're able to tap into that and that's something that is um you know oftentimes helpful um and for death for dishonor had they put out the record themselves back in 2005 they wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to go tour with agnostic front and that phone call from you know from their booking agent to 12 weeks of touring six weeks in, in europe six weeks in the u.s with agnostic front and they've been tight ever since yeah. so kind of like helped them uh help them launch yeah do you get inundated with a lot of new bands sending you stuff and if so do you actually listen to it <laughs> so we don't we don't have on I mean, we, we do okay. get stuff at UCB. i yeah. mean we used to get demos every day in the mail okay. and that and then it went to links you know yeah. email kind of unsolicited links um i do try to check stuff out uh, the reality, though, is there's only, I mean, out of 300 or so releases that Bridge Nine has put out, um, yeah. there's only a handful that have been completely unsolicited, just stumbled upon a band right. and thought they were great. Yeah. Oftentimes, there is some sort of connection, connection to yeah. another artist you've worked with. So that's the advice that I usually give people in bands. Like, if you're excited about a particular you know, label, um, find your way kind of like through one of their existing artists if you have a relationship a lot of times you know maybe someone in the band is a booking you know books their local shows or promotes like shows in their local area so they're able to network and and get to know bands that are on a particular label and if they have a good rapport you know it it could go from there makes sense it's all you know it's all about connections that's why i'm doing this uh podcast stuff you know yeah. Uh, you never know who you're going to run into. Um, it might be a bad presumption to assume that because you opened a store, you know, things are going pretty well. Um, but that does, that would be my guess, I guess, right? Um, and well, for, yeah. for, for me, it was, um, the label is changing a little bit, right? Like okay. we, we, at one point, we're putting out 20 plus new releases every year um that's unsustainable so got to the point back where we've kind of scaled back a little bit um going through covid and and all you know all that the lockdowns and 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 closures um we were putting out fewer fewer new releases and at that time our landlord basically told us that he was selling the building we'd been in for forever and Mm -hmm. we had to so gotcha. when, we, when we found a new place, um, I wanted something that had a, like a, a retail component because yeah. I, I was tired of being stuck in like a little industrial complex that no one knew we were there, Yeah, especially after going through COVID and kind of like being on your own. I mean, for a while, I was, it was just like just me and my, my partner just like, you know, packing yeah. orders and kind of keeping things moving. Um, by having a store, we're hoping to have a space where people can come in and it's more community. 
Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and if we're not putting out a new record that month, come get whatever the the good record is that you know, um, whatever label is a couple of degrees of separation away from us. So we're, you know, a pretty mainly hardcore and punk record store. Um, we're we're going to mix it up a little bit, but like come and get, you know, whatever is, you know, yeah. cool this week. Um, and we'll help be still like part of the equation. Um, I am genuinely curious what's uh, doing well sales wise these days in a, in a merch store or in a, vinyl store or like is it vinyl that people are buying a lot of or is it more like yeah okay. for sure yeah still the hot thing yeah i mean just judging from the uh the pictures of the store here that i pulled up it looks like that's what you guys are mostly wheeling and dealing although yeah. um you know the uh sweatshirts and all that stuff look pretty cool too i don't know if, how much of that you're moving i even saw books too and in, in there i don't know if you saw them in the storefront <laughs> Um, some books that we've released, some books that are that have been uh, released by artists we've, we've worked with. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, another just general question or thought I might have had was like, you know, over the course of 25 years, there must have been some pretty serious ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Like, you know, were there any like highlights? Our, uh, eras, certain, you know, blocks of years that were really good. And then were there some that just really took a nosedive and like, you weren't sure it was going to work out. So we, we've been fortunate. We've never been in a position where we're like, Oh God, what's going to happen. But, yeah. you know, definitely been, you know, if you're in a band, um, and, or if you're a label, like you're, it doesn't always go straight up. Right. Like right. There's, yeah. there's, there's definitely waves. Um, and if you like us or, you know, we're, well into like our third decade like there's going to be times where you know you've got every great artist under your umbrella and things that you're crushing other times like scenes kind of die out and there's not a lot of cool stuff going on right so you kind of have to work with what's what's there right so like you know you you have to in one respect you can't be too niche because you you what you're into isn't always going to be you know um out there with and, yeah. and active, um, you know, we are a traditionally kind of hardcore punk record label. Um, we do mix it up a little bit depending on you know like what I'm feeling. Um, mm. But we're, we're pretty rooted in you know in, in hardcore and punk. Um, but yeah, there's been years like the early 2000s. Sometimes there's people that say like, oh, Bridge Nine, you know, the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, 2003 when we were putting out American Nightmare um, and Terror and Champion and all these bands, people were like, oh, that was the shit. You yeah. know, but then we had the mid-2000s with, like, Half Heart and Verse and Ceremony, you know, or then, like, early 2010s with, like, Backtrack and, you know, Iron Sheik and Strike Anywhere and Polar Bear Club. I mean, there was yeah. different waves of, of activity, and you just, as a label, you just have to be able to kind of roll with it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, also, I mean, I got to imagine you grew up in kind of the heyday of hardcore, right? I mean, maybe uh, between New York City and Boston. Like, I, I don't know exactly what to ask about those days other than that I'm sure the mosh pits were pretty rough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm but, assume, assume you're familiar with Hatebreed. Yeah. That was, I was in Connecticut in the, the mid-90s, and that, that, I mean, that band. Yeah. Through 
you know, out of out of nothing into this beast. Right. And some of the shows back then were were definitely scary. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of curious, like, what got you into hardcore, you know, as opposed to something else, especially if you weren't necessarily playing in a band. Like, what attracted yeah. to you? Was it if it was the culture, maybe, or if it was the mosh pits, or it was the energy, or the, uh, you know, the anger, the angst, like, whatever kind of got I you into it? It was, you know, being an outsider in your high school. Yeah. And you know, when you're kind of like the weird kid in, in middle school, and then you're into skateboarding and, you know, you start to, there's only a, in every high school, there's only a handful of yeah. kids kind of like into, and for me, it was, you know, heavy metal at first and thrash metal and death metal and, and, and then hardcore and punk. And you kind of like find your tribe and it might, in my school, there might've been, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us, um, you know, and then you start to hear about bands playing through, you know, the, the music you're listening to and the older kids that are in the high school. And, yeah. and I know for me, it was a matter of like going to my first couple of shows kind of locally in Connecticut. Um, and just being like, Whoa, this is fucking sick. Yeah. You know, just, um, connecting with other people that are like you, you know, kind of on that the outskirts of, of like your like kind of social, like kind of high school setting. Um, and, and realizing, you know, that the, it's not just you that's kind of has this outlook. Um, I think that's what it attracted me to going to hardcore and punk shows initially. Cause I'm like, all right, there's more people that are kind of more yeah. like me. Um, and then, you know, like anything, like you, you go into it, not really knowing a lot of people and you, and, and, and you, you just start to meet people and start yeah. finding a role, finding, finding a way to contribute, you know, I mean, and especially in hardcore and punk, everyone kind of does something, right? There's not a lot of just spectators. Yeah. Like, show up as a spectator, but then you kind of gravitate towards some kind of role, um, whether it's being a photographer and taking photos, you know, at shows and and sharing them with bands to help kind of promote what they're doing, or doing a fanzine, or booking a local VFW hall so that your local bands can play and, yeah. and have a small show um i think seeing how hands-on things were early on was uh for me that that left a like left a an impression yeah you know and it was inspiring no i definitely get it i was the same type of kid you know it's uh kind of weird in a way that i don't even understand fully why because i feel like i grew up in a fairly stable household you know it was never really like messed with too much or bullied or anything like that or didn't really have people die on me or something i just had a lot of just aggression i think a lot of testosterone or something and like as soon as yeah. i got into it, like a mosh pit or learned how to play some pantera riffs i was like all right this is it this is yeah <laughs> like this is awesome so i mean uh, i think a lot of people saw pantera's music videos on headbangers ball you know people yeah. jumping off stages and that probably yeah. attracted people to it yeah know? i think outside of sports it's like i don't know it's the only other comparison i have really for that sort of like release for and it and the cool thing about music too is it can be a creative release too it's like an expression it doesn't have to be just straight up punching somebody in the mouth you know yeah although it can be in the case of pantera's uh famous album cover which i do believe the guy was paid i want to say 300 bucks oh jeez uh, <laughs> for that album cover and I think they I think uh, that's a vulgar display of power. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I, I saw that tour and it was it was pretty ridiculous. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny back then, pre-internet, um, sports and and kind of punk and hardcore were the two kids that knew people from outside of their hometown, right? Yeah. So like, it, it, when I was in you know middle school, like you didn't know anybody outside of your like hometown unless you were on like an intramural sports team yeah, uh, or into skateboarding and like leaving. Cause you know, some of the best spots are never in your town. Like, so oh, you have yeah, to go, of course. go elsewhere and you meet other kids. Um, and then going to like punk shows. Yeah. We should definitely uh, talk about skateboarding for a second. I also grew up doing that, uh, for the better part of, I don't know, the age of like 13 to at least 20. Yep. So I just, I don't know what happened exactly. I think all my friends stopped and I still, I still go to the park and wheel and deal like one of those old geezer bull trolls. But like, you know, I, I think that the slams just started really adding up and I just couldn't heal like I used to. So I kind of got out of it, but it was, there's nothing in life I've ever truly tried with every ounce of my energy at, I can safely yep. say that I have never tried as hard at anything else to be good at it. And I still I th think I sucked. You know what, though? A, a skateboarding is really, really hard. And I mean, I, I was same kind of the same thing. I think it was probably fifth grade. I got my first skateboard and, you yeah. know, just middle school, like, you know, literally high school, college. Uh, when I first moved to Boston, all I did was go skateboarding, you know, nice. with friends, hit up all the same skate spots. Um, and then at, at some point, like, I think it was when I moved into a, a warehouse that was on the third floor i was like if i hurt myself i'm screwed because yeah. like, there's no getting <laughs> yeah. down these um i mean i still have a skateboard you know here in the office and um i break it out every once in a while but it's real limited i mean i i even have a so my daughter is 11 and yeah. skate park a couple blocks from our office in the store and so it's oh, on awesome. there yeah yeah i can't say enough great things about even in my lifetime how many more skate parks there are there used to be like I would have murdered to have this many parks around like yeah. even 10 years ago. Like we had to drive an hour easily to get to like a park most of the time. And then we didn't have driver's license. So we had to beg somebody's parents, you know, to get our asses out there. So I feel like this is like a, a golden age of like skateboarding still to be a kid right now. I, I'm literally, I'm very jealous actually. It but, is. Although like I was I was in Boston yesterday and I was stuck in traffic and I was looking at a construction site and they were putting in this like new kind of decorative um, I don't know like it's like plant um, kind of yeah. area from a building and you could see the little notch every mm. three feet where they're gonna put one of those little metal skate stop you know, yeah. stop but it's it's funny as, a, as as someone who's you know you come up skateboarding you see things differently you see um architecture exactly yeah. from a skateboarder's perspective even i mean i'm gonna be 47 next week and i still see everything from that yeah. perspective yeah no it never changes see a good bank sometimes you're like man i don't know that's why i keep a board in the car because i'm still like i ain't gonna yep. try what i used to try on that but i might still go skate up and down it for a little bit yeah you know? so that's cool the next obvious uh parlay i wanted to make was that you know the the symbiosis, I guess you could say, of skateboarding and music culture, which I guess you already touched on. 
And I'd just be curious how you guys as a record company may or may not have um, done anything within your community, within your scene. In that way, maybe um, a skateboarder's on one of your record uh, or in one of the bands on your label, or maybe you have directly worked with a skate company. I don't know. I'm yeah. just making stuff up. But <laughs> well, so when when I started when I started Bridge Nine originally, the plan was to do both records and skateboards, and oh, I made cool. a couple of skateboards in the '90s. Um, had couple of guys that were my like skate you know bridge nine team yeah. and you know, giving them decks and doing like little photo shoots and nice. uh the reality was i had i mean i had no money back then at all like i couldn't like i was literally just like scraping things together and you both was really difficult yeah. so, you know i i i was able to put out a seven inch then i did a second seven inch then i started talking about doing skateboards so i made a deck and you know like made windbreakers and stickers and like started trying to you know put something together to kind of have bridge nine represent both in fact our first stickers said like bridge nine records and skateboard company that's awesome um, but i in the end i think we made three skateboards um yeah. couldn't do both and and just focused on, on like putting out records yeah one thing i know from more than one source is that in the early 90s was a serious dead zone for skateboarding and sales and all that. I think even I read Tony Hawk's book and he's like, yeah, Birdhouse was definitely about to go under. Like it was, you know, a week to week thing just to keep that operation alive in like 94 or whatever because there was just this dead area of skateboarding where it went, you know, it was really prominent in the zeitgeist there at the late 80s or something and then something happened in the 90s where every kid was like oh doing something else now no one's skateboarding anymore and then late 90s x games comes back and all of a sudden bam it's yeah. right in the forefront of the public consciousness again so he said that like just surviving that like five year whatever time period it was was uh was tough but so it sounds like you might have started or we're thinking about starting making boards in that era, which sounds like it, it was. Yeah, very... like, 90, like uh, 97, 98, kind of around that time. So that might have been almost the sweet spot then. 99, I think, is where it really started popping off again. Yeah, I think I, I think I was just missing it. Like I was, yeah. I was on skate, on doing skateboards for myself, and then, and then just focusing on records. Yeah. that's cool. You ever run into PJ Ladd? By any chance, I know that's a random reference. Oh. But, okay. He's he's the legend in your hood, as I understand it, at least from uh, my era of skateboarding. Nice. Yeah. We we do have a pretty sick skate shop, um, like one street over. Okay. Uh, called uh, Nowhere Fast. That, um, you know, it's when we moved into this community, like we were a couple towns over, and it's just like, it's a lot of cool shit happening. Yeah. Um, between different stores and like even the barbershop i went in um the, the guy that cut my hair was wearing a Warzone shirt nice. you know like <laughs> very kind of hardcore punk focus yeah. so i feel like you know you talk about finding your tribe i feel like we've been able to connect with some really cool people just in this one little town so, yeah it looks like it's called beverly mass yeah it? yeah it's like it's right on the ocean it's you know 30 really. north of boston and um not a whole lot going on outside of the fact that it's you know one town over from Salem, but yeah. it's uh, 
it's a it's it's a really nice town and um, we shared an office when we used to be in Salem with this label called Death Wish and you know the the singer of Death Wish is all, I'm sorry the, the the owner of Death Wish is the vocalist of Converge um, and they've done a lot of stuff in, in music and they're they're one street over from us so you know we've we've got them in our neighborhood uh, the skate shop um, you know it's a uh, kind of building a little scene here i guess yeah it sounds really cool kind of peaceful in a way so yeah sounds like a nice nice spot to be um i know i've been throwing a lot of like just kind of off the wall questions at you i mean the the neural synapses here are not firing fully quite yet uh it was a rough weekend but um (laughs) like uh is there anything that like you wanted to cover or promote or mention that i just didn't even get close to touching on yeah, no worries. I mean, I know you're you're, you're mostly in the, the Baltimore kind of like you know DC area. Um, yeah, we've 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 put out a handful of records with bands from from that area over the years. We had uh, this band called Ruiner. We did a few records with uh, Striking Distance, um, War on Women. Currently, yeah. uh, Strike Anywhere um, from Virginia, uh, kind of the DC area. But um, I mean, for people that are I don't know if anyone, any, any of your listeners are going to be making their way up to the Boston area. If they do, we have a new record store, which is pretty sick. So yeah. you know, if you're coming up to Boston or going to Salem to do the, the witchy tourism, you know, we're, <laughs> or right door. Um, but I don't know. Um, I think the thing that I always try to, to talk about is, you know, when I started the label, um, I didn't really, I didn't have a business plan. And I, I didn't have any funding. So, you know, I had to kind of figure out, every step we had to kind of figure out like how to to make it happen I mean, even today right like, yeah. there's no we, we're independently owned so like anytime i want to do something i have to figure out how to kind of piece it together um and i always tell people not to like look outside of the box so like if you want to start a label but you don't have any money what what else can you do you know what other side hustle can you have to yeah. kind of figure out what you need to push it, to, you know, to kind of push it into what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think your story is definitely inspirational for all of us, you know, out there trying to do all this quirky stuff that's a little outside of the mainstream, you know, whatever yeah. it may be. I know for me, this podcast thing is a bit of an adventure, albeit it's not necessarily a business model. Um, maybe it could be one day. I was definitely going to send you a some merch if that's cool like a t-shirt or whatever we got going um but it's cool but you, you've done a lot of episodes right i mean like you like you kind of yeah. like you've got that you're consistent with that's the key you know right. just do something uh on whatever level that's the other thing i try to tell people is like don't wait until you can do every possible bell and whistle that you think you need to do whatever it is you want to do so like if you want to start a label like for me, I just started with whatever resources I had. And that's the kind of cool thing about, you know, most businesses, like you don't have to be every possible thing from the day one. Just start with whatever tiny amount of resources you have and accomplish whatever you can with that. Like for me, it was putting out one record. We pressed a thousand copies, 900 of them were on black vinyl because it was cheaper and like a hundred of them on color vinyl. We used black and white covers that were printed at like a local print shop. They weren't specialty. Yeah. 
record covers. They were just fold over, throw them in a bag. Um, but once you do that, you kind of like get your foot in the door and then, you know, you're able to kind of grow from there. So like it, you know, nobody knows what you want to do until you start doing it. And then once you do it, people can start circling around you, right? So I'm sure there were people that you know through your podcast that maybe early on, you know, are able to help you in some way because yeah. you're not doing it, right? Like, and, and you're helping. And because you're a podcast, like your, your, your whole job is to like talk to people and spread whatever it is they're working on and, and have good conversations. And like, because of that, like you're networking and meeting people right. and like kind of broadening yourself. So instead of just being this one little spot, you know, in like Maryland, now you're you're reaching out to other people and other scenes and like and growing. Yeah, I mean the <clears throat> the main idea behind it was really just to help try and promote my own band um, and by talking to other bands because I was like I just kind of realized no matter where we play shows, we almost never have like a real conversation. So it's like, this just seems like a cheat code to actually sit down and have a real conversation, actually try to get to know each other. And in doing so, I can actually help promote not only their band, but kind of in an ancillary way of my own. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah. here's my stuff, you know, let's hang out. When, so when I moved to Boston, I did basically the same thing. It wasn't a podcast, but I did a newsletter. So oh, okay. I picked cool. a format that I knew I was like, all right, this is something that I could do every month. So right. it was really, it was literally a piece of paper folded in half into four pages and then I had an interview with a local band on the front uh, like kind of what's what with local news on the inside um, you know who's putting out records you know what's what's happening um, page three was uh, like a 20 questions with another artist or someone in a band and then mm -hmm. the back page was just like every upcoming show that I knew about in the Boston area yeah and Kind of like like a calendar so you know i went when i first moved here i knew a bunch of people there was actually a lot of kids from my high school that all ended up in the same neighborhood in boston so i knew some people but there was so many i mean the scene was a lot bigger here than where i had come from so i used a newsletter um like this really rinky dink little thing yeah but it became an opportunity for me because you know it had the bridge nine logo on it uh, and it was called like the bridge nine hardcore punk backsheet so it allowed me to go to people that I didn't know that were doing really cool shit and talk to them in the same way you're doing it. I mean, right. obviously with the podcast, it's, it's, it's like the same idea. I would just literally go talk to them, uh, transcribe the interview, and then once a month for a year, I did like 12, 12 issues, um, would print this and then distribute them around the Boston area. And, you know, it makes you somebody that people that are doing cool shit want to talk to because they want to promote whatever it is they're up to. So, you know, that's, that's a good way to, you know, make yourself helpful, I guess, right. To, right. to like make uh, the, the opportunity to network with other people easier. Yeah. I call it just being a, a node in the scene. You know what I mean? You want to be like a, a point of reference and like also kind of in a philosophical spiritual way just pay it forward it's good karma i yeah. think you know like people are more likely to try to help you out in the long run if you're helping them out right i mean it's uh yeah it's the whole thing so yeah it works um 
And speaking of shows, that was one other thing I meant to ask you is like, are you still kind of promoting shows at all now? Like in any way, do you showcase people at all when they come to town? Is there a venue around that even maybe you're not associated with, but are kind of associated with, you know what I mean? Like, are you doing anything like that or no? Yeah. So, so we don't directly, um, do a lot of, uh, promoting right. for, for shows. I mean, we, you know, we'll work with promoters that we have a relationship with or, you know, venues that, you know, that our bands are, are typically known to, you know, to go to um, yeah. play. We are looking, for, so last week we just got our entertainment license for mm. our record store so we can start having artists perform here. Um, oh, nothing awesome. big and crazy, yeah. but, you know, that is an opportunity that we, we want to explore and be able to have you know, when we have an artist come through town, be able to, to do yeah. something in our space. That would be awesome. That's kind of what I was wondering. So, yeah, that's cool. And then probably, like, the other last thing is, like, um, kind of, again, going through the uh, the bands on the old roster here. Um, was there, like, a particular song or two that you might want to feature on this uh, episode? Um... I know you got a lot, so maybe it's yeah, unfair. Cool. I don't know if you want to pick favorites, but maybe there's been like something recent that you know has come out or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, you know, prepare to be let down by Ruiner. Uh, okay. You know, kind of local to your scene, um, and, and, a, and a band that I had a, the pleasure of working with on a handful of records. Okay. Cool. Um, I will try to find that or uh, I guess if you can send me the mp3 that works too but either way um, should be good and uh, yeah I definitely appreciate your time uh, for sure coming on here and just talking I mean I know we're kind of far away so to the effect that it really helps the store or not I can't really say but hey uh, it'll put no, it's, it's cool I mean we as a label we've worked with a lot of bands and, and bands from yeah. your area so okay cool yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate the time and uh, hopefully uh, can uh, swing through one day, especially if I'm coming up to the Cape Cod or I'm trying to branch out and play more shows up there. So uh, you never know. Awesome. Um, Brett, thank you again for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, uh, awesome. have a good rest of your day and uh, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. See you. Later. So yeah, so yeah. If you made it this far, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, definitely go check out Bridge Nine Records, either the store or the website. And uh, you can also follow or subscribe to the podcast if you liked it. Doing it at least every week. And then uh, the song that you're hearing now is called "Bleed Blue" by Roll Call. <laughs>